1: Where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous US China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hi, this is Julie M., and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast.
1: Today, we are going to talk about stories. Not necessarily the stories we tell other people, but the stories we tell ourselves a lot of experience with this at the age of eight my father died suddenly he went to work one morning and he never came home a blood vessel unexpectedly burst in his brain causing almost instantaneous death in the blink of an eye my eight-year-old world was turned upside down it was a tragedy and no one certainly would have blamed me for seeing it as such but if you were to ask me about my childhood i would describe it as carefree maybe even magical Because I grew up surrounded by people who loved me in a safe environment. And eventually I developed a story about my father's death that felt much more comfortable. You see, my father died when I was 8 years old and I idolized him. I wanted to be a doctor and be just like him. I figure, if he had died when I was a teenager, I may no longer have been so enamored. I might have turned away from medicine. But instead, his death sent me charging headfirst into his profession with a dedication and commitment that helped me overcome many hurdles. And I entered this majestic profession where I could truly help and change people's lives. I wouldn't change my childhood. I wouldn't change the story that I fashioned for myself. And I hope to provide a place for our community to likewise share these unique stories. And speaking of community, before we get into the meat of the interview, I just wanted to remind about the What's Up Next Facebook group. You can find us by going to the website diversify.com backslash Facebook. That's D I V E R S E F I.com backslash Facebook. If you like the conversations and panels we have here at the what's up next podcast, we continue the conversation in the Facebook group, There are postings multiple times a day. And it's a real great place for the community to come together and discuss all the important issues of the day. Julie M is someone you should know. She is a professional, a mom to her daughter, Hannah, a world traveler and an adventurer, a newly minted blogger, and a financial independence enthusiast. I first met her at Camp Financial Independence, Camp Phi Midwest, this year in 2019. The first night at Camp Phi, there are 50 or 60 participants, and we all sit around a circle, and each person stands up and tells a little bit about themselves. Towards the end of the group, Julie M. stood up and she did something incredibly courageous. She said, I'm going to tell you about me now in front of everybody so I don't have to go over this story over and over again. And then she told her story. Julie M., welcome to the What's Up Next podcast.
0: Thank you, Dr. G.,
1: I should mention that our audience members have heard you before because you were on the Camp Fi episode. Is that correct?
0: Yes, it was a great time.
1: Let's talk about your childhood. Do you remember your mom or your dad ever sitting you down and saying, this is how you balance a checkbook, or this is how you budget, or even this is how you invest? Were those conversations where they tried to specifically teach you?
0: Only the balancing the checkbook. I think when I got my very first checking account, she kind of showed me how to do that and why we do it and just making sure that we have money in there to spend. And they always talked about paying off credit cards. And when I did get my first credit card, I remember them saying, like, always pay it off. Don't ever let there be a balance on there. I didn't really know why. You know, I didn't understand the interest or anything like that. You listen to your parents and think they know everything. So that's what I did. My parents always told us, all four kids, we do not have the money to put you through college. That's something you guys are going to have to figure out on your own, but you're all really smart and you can get scholarships and you can work and you can figure out a way to pay for college. And I was lucky enough, our high school had a great scholarship program. I think my oldest sister was the first of our entire family, like cousins and such to graduate college.
1: And was that important to your parents? Did they kind of teach you if you want to make it in life, you've got to go to college?
0: You know, what's funny is it it wasn't explicitly said. I don't ever remember questioning whether any of us would go to college.
1: And you said you worked throughout college also?
0: I did. I uh, managed the black and white photography lab at the university, helped hire students to work in the lab, and helped one of the professors, kind of was his unofficial TA and helping set that up.
1: And did you do any internships or work with any businesses in the meantime, more career focused during the summers or what have you?
0: Yeah, the University of Wisconsin Stout actually requires all students to do an internship, which, you know, at the time I'm like, oh, I have to find this internship. But it actually set kids up really well to get a job. And they had a really great rate of kids that graduated being Employed because of their internship requirement. I actually moved to Florida for nine months after college to do an internship down there with a water ski company and it was in their marketing department. Long term, I wanted to be back closer to family and friends back
1: in the Midwest. And when you moved back, did you have a job lined up?
0: I did not. I moved back in with my parents and then I slept on a friend's couch doing a a temp job for a little while and then finally moved to Wisconsin where I live now.
1: Were you single or were you dating or married?
0: I was single, you know, had just kind of bounced around across the country and back and looking forward to settling down a little bit, staying in one area, finding a friend group, potentially looking at dating and meeting somebody that I would want to spend my life with. So that was 2006-ish.
1: And then eventually you met Jim. When did you meet him? How old were you?
0: I met him in 2007.
1: So usually when you form that kind of partner spousal relationship, it's the first time where you get an in-depth look at someone else's financial habits. (laughs) So you guys started dating and then got married. How was his financial upbringing compared to yours?
0: He was brought up in a very similar family style in terms of stay-at-home mom, working father. He owned a home and I could tell early on in the relationship, he was definitely the spender and I was the saver. That was very clear. And I think he got that from his father.
1: (laughs) And was that uncomfortable at a point, especially as you're coming together and thinking about getting married and putting your finances together? Do you ever remember any of those conversations about maybe we shouldn't be spending so much?
0: He wasn't in debt. He had the house mortgage, but other than that, he wasn't in consumer debt. And so it was always kind of justified as, well, we have the money, so it's not a big deal. And to me, it was like, we really don't need another bag or another pair of shoes, but it was his money at that time. You know, This was when we were dating and I didn't feel like I could say like, you shouldn't buy that because we should be saving. It was more just, I noticed him spending more, but he had the money. I didn't feel the need to buy as much as him. Fast forward to when we were having a baby. At one point I had to tell him, you should stop buying things on Amazon. We have no idea how much a baby's gonna cost. Like we're gonna need to slow it down. And Jim was really into buying bikes. He loved buying bikes, fixing them up, helping people with their bikes. And I said, You should not buy another bike for a little while. We need to figure out how much having a baby's gonna cost. And then an Amazon package would arrive and it would be like a set of derailers. And then another Amazon package package would arrive and it would be handlebars. And I'm like, are you building a bike? (laughs) Did you think I wouldn't notice?
1: (laughs) At that time, at least in the beginning, before you were married, before you were having a baby, your finances were separate. What did he do for a living? I mean, were your incomes comparable?
0: They were pretty comparable. And so we kept most of our finances separate. We basically had like a house fund and all of the combined expenses fund that we both put into. Even though he made a little bit more than me at the time, we separated costs into percentage wise.
1: Some people after they get married still keep their finances separate. So did you guys do that or did you decide when you married that you were going to combine them?
0: We did. We kept them separate. We thought the way we had handled the joint expenses in a joint account to be working really well. And I think it also helped because he was a little bit of a spender and I wasn't as much. It helped me not worry about what is he
1: spending. And you mentioned that when you were pregnant with Hannah, you started really thinking about the money you would need to save. Was saving a part of your thought process before getting pregnant? Was that something you guys actively talked about? We better start saving money for our future?
0: We did a little bit. Jim had a Roth IRA. I did not. I didn't feel like I had the extra money to open a Roth IRA. And we would talk a little bit about investing or what we would do when we had the money to invest. We weren't living paycheck to paycheck by far, but we also weren't really intentionally saving money. We would save money and then we'd go on a vacation or we'd save money and then we'd have a baby. So it felt like every time we saved anything, we had an expense come up that we would use it for, or we'd create an expense like a vacation.
1: Was frugality even part of the conversation?
0: No, not really. It wasn't that we were going out and spending lavish dinners or, or buying really crazy expensive things, but it certainly wasn't a discussion of let's be frugal about this and let's save
1: money. Looking back now, what you know now do you think you were particularly financially savvy back then? I mean, you were talking about Roth IRA. So you had some idea of these tax deferred vehicles. Did you know much about finances at that point in your life?
0: I really didn't. I knew the basics. For example, I didn't know that there was a such thing as maxing out a 401k. I thought if somebody said I max out my 401k, that they maxed to the employer match. And I thought, well, that's what I'm doing. So that's that's great. And I'm That's what everybody says to do, so that's what I'm doing. Jim had a state of Wisconsin account that was a little different, but it wasn't a 401k. And we did talk about the Roth IRA, and I remember being like, he might spend a little bit more, but he has this Roth IRA, so he's clearly saving money and saving for our future. We knew his benefits at work were really good as well. We kind of just knew like that would probably take care of us by the time we're
1: 65. And so it sounds like in most ways, maybe some minor differences, but you guys financially meshed pretty well. It seems like you had the same knowledge level and mostly same interests. Is that is that correct?
0: Yep, exactly. And similar incomes too. When we got married, I remember our insurance guy saying, you should get life insurance now that you're married. And I kept saying, well, you know, Jim, we both have the same income. If like if you die, I'll be able to afford the house. If I die, you'll be able to afford the house. And then Hannah came along and he said, you guys should think about life insurance. And we thought about it a little more then. and I'm like that, you know, that should be on our to-do list should definitely be something we get. It never got on that to-do list and it certainly never got done.
1: Was it your plan to have a big family? Was that like a dream of, that both of you had?
0: It was definitely two to three. We said, let's, you know, two for sure. Let's see how we handle that and then talk about a third.
1: And what were you planning to do once Hannah was born with your employment? Were you going to continue working? Are you going to take some time off?
0: You know, I took maternity leave, but I did go back to work. It just wasn't feasible for us financially to have me stay at home.
1: What year was Hannah born in?
0: 2013.
1: 2013. So you took a month off, six weeks, 12 weeks off, whatever your work allowed you, and then it was back to work. And Hannah ended up in daycare or with a nanny? Daycare, yep, full time daycare. Remind me, after Hannah was born, didn't you guys move for Jim's job? Is that correct?
0: We did. So I actually quit my job. He got a job in Madison, Wisconsin. And then for the first few months we were there, I didn't look for a job. Just just kind of get the house in order, get everything set up, find a daycare for Hannah, and then start looking for a job.
1: And what year were we at that point? January of 2014. Hannah's nine months old. You just moved to Madison, Wisconsin. It's 2014. And I'm going to pivot and jump back to the Camp Fi because I want to talk about you introducing yourself in front of the group of all the camp Fi participants. So we were all standing up in a room or we were all sitting together in a room and each person was standing up separately and introducing themselves. And I remember you were towards the end. And if you can remember, tell us what you said when you stood up at camp Fi and introduced yourself.
0: You're going to make me cry again. <laughs> I'm going to go back a little bit and explain why I decided to do it this way. We had just finished the first dinner at Camp Fi, and I was sitting around a group of people, and we were talking about our life a little bit, and I couldn't decide, do I I tell them? Do I not tell them? What do I do here? And I ended up not telling them, and then we came upstairs, and we were sitting around that large group, and one of the guys sitting next to me was part of that dinner conversation and asked me a question that I kind of had to tell him, and I thought, This is going to be horrible, telling every person this individually. So I'm going to just share it with the group. So I stood up and said, my name is Julie. I'm a solo mom to a six-year-old daughter, Hannah. And my husband died five years ago. And that's
1: why I'm here. Tell us, how did your husband die? How old was he?
0: He was 36 years old. He was in great shape. He was on a run on his lunch hour. And he died of a heart attack.
1: This was 2014. You had just moved to Madison, Wisconsin. Your daughter was one years old. First and foremost, having a father who died, I immediately connected with everything you said. But I was also touched by how courageous it was that you were able to get up in front of all these people and say this. And again, getting back to my intro a little bit, you know, we tell ourselves stories about our lives. And part of what I thought was so courageous is that you stood up with your head Held high and told your story. I don't think any of us can imagine what it must have felt like at that moment. Your daughter's a year old, you had just lost your husband. Of course, grief, I imagine, is the first thing that goes through your mind. But then I imagine you also have to start picking up your life. What was running through your head after you were able to clear enough grief to start thinking about what to do with your child in your life?
0: Uh, it was, I mean, yeah, it was, it was awful. You know, I had basically lived this fairy tale life up to that point. I went to school, got a good career, got my master's degree, met the man of my dreams, had this beautiful, healthy baby girl with him. We were moving because he had a great job opportunity. It all seemed to be falling in place. And when that happened, I just watched my whole world crumble. And on top of that, We had just moved to a city where we knew two people versus a city where we had lived for the past 10 years in Eau Claire and I didn't have a job. And I so all of a sudden I was a a single mom with no husband, no job in a city I knew hardly anyone with a big house because we, of course, upgraded the house when we moved and a payment I couldn't even fathom to afford.
1: And no life insurance.
0: And no life insurance. Um, we had life insurance through his job, but it was minimal and you know, not anywhere to support a family.
1: You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down, but the good news is... After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. I want to point out here that that is not an uncommon story, especially with young people When my father died, my mom did have life insurance, but interestingly enough, my father had just started working for a new company eight months earlier, and part of his employment contract was that they were going to get him a million-dollar life insurance policy. Eight months later, he dies suddenly, and they forgot to do it when he was employed. And my mom at that time was so full of grief, she never pursued it, but someone's clerical error pretty much deeply impacted our life. I think it's a real common issue. And so the fact that you didn't have life insurance is not amazingly surprising. It's easy now, right? To look back and say, (laughs) boy, we should have done it. But you just don't think about those things, right?
0: And the other aspect of that, that I can look back and laugh at now, but at the time was devastating, was that when he started his job, so the job he got in Madison was actually still through the university system. So they never asked him to update his beneficiaries. When he started his job in Eau Claire, he actually put his girlfriend at the time as his life insurance benefactor. And so I got a call from his best friend, who's a lawyer, who, you know, a couple weeks after he died. And he said, I need to tell you something, Julie. Jim had his ex-girlfriend as the life insurance beneficiary.
1: Oh, my God. So what happened?
0: I I was floored and angry at him. <laughs> I couldn't even fathom what had all happened in terms of his death and then to have that on top of it. We decided that his best friend was going to talk to the girl, explain what happened and see if she would sign it over. And she did. She was amazing. And she said, absolutely, I will do whatever I need to do. I'll sign whatever needs to be signed to get Julie that money and we later connected and we actually went out to coffee. I thanked her profusely for being the great person she is to to understand what happened and that it was an error and that he had just had not updated that.
1: I'm going to pick one word out of that whole description you just gave anger. And I imagine as much as you love your spouse and there's no way you could blame them for what happened. There must be some anger. Did you ever kind of feel that how could you leave me type thing? Ever oh, absolutely.
0: Come up? How could you leave me with this one-year-old? How could you not update your life insurance? Just one more thing for me to do. I mean, so many things run through your head. And then you feel guilt for being mad at your dead spouse. <laughs> I mean, the range of emotions that go through you in the days to weeks to months that pass after having that happen are so widespread.
1: So you've created a fairly devastating picture of where you were at the moment. You obviously had no choice but to start picking things up and moving again. What did you do?
0: I knew that I needed to leave Madison. I knew I didn't have enough support system there, and I knew I had a house that I couldn't afford. And so my first thing to do was to put the house on the market there. And I knew I I kind of wanted to be back in Eau Claire. That was where we had been for the past 10 years. It was closer to family. It was closer to friends. That was also where I had worked. So I knew like if I'm gonna get a job, I need to get a job to support my family. And I knew I had connections here that I could get a job. I thought initially I was gonna move in with my parents. <laughs> they kind of said, We're here for you. Come move in, do whatever you need to do to work through this. I was there for a little while during that transition and I knew immediately that wasn't for me. I needed to be out on my own. I need to support my family. I wanted to get a job, get a house and be able to support Hannah and myself. I just knew that was like where I wanted to be. And I almost pushed off the true grieving of his death until I had a job and until I was settled because I just felt I needed to stay strong and get my ducks in a row before I could let myself really grieve his death and his loss.
1: So you almost had to manage your own safety. You needed to make sure you were living first before you could mourn his passing. Exactly. Was it straightforward, the selling of the house in Madison, the finding a new job, the finding a place to live once you came back to Eau Claire?
0: I mean, all of it had its hiccups. His company had paid for us to move there. And so now I had to figure out how to move everything out of there. We had just unpacked boxes. (laughs) Some were still even packed. I just called the same realtor who we had purchased the house for, explained the situation, and she was kind enough to waive her part of the fees to resell the house. Thankfully I have a lot of connections in the business world here and some friends who all knew I would be looking for a job. And I was able to get a job pretty quickly and I'm actually still with that company. It all just seemed to work out and I can't name a person that made that all happen. Aside from it was all of my friends and family working together to support us through that entire process, always willing to lend a hand. I remember packing up our house in Madison and my dad thought to himself, how are we ever going to pack up this whole house? And I said, well, I, I put a message on Facebook that if anyone could help to come and we just had tons of people show up to help move boxes, pack boxes, anything that we needed done, they were just willing to do in a heartbeat. It all just worked very smoothly because of those people.
1: And I imagine going through this trauma changed your relationship to your finances. Did your orientation change over that year or two after Jim died? Did you start thinking about your financial situation differently?
0: Definitely. Jim had always done our finances. You know, we were both very qualified. We both had MBAs, but he was kind of just the one that took on that role in our marriage. After the fact, I thought, oh gosh, now I have to do this. I went with an investor that a friend referred me to, and he definitely did help pull in Jim's accounts and get them over into my name and also advise me on what I should probably be looking at for buying a house, You know, like what I could afford and with the new job. And he definitely helped pull my financial mess that I was in, in line, of course, that was also you know me spending hours on the phone with various companies sending in death certificates constantly. You have their social memorized because you're constantly doing it. I have 20 copies of a death certificate because you're always mailing them in for all the accounts to prove their death. Unfortunately, this advisor also charged two percent for his services under assets under management, and honestly, that term meant nothing to me. 2% meant nothing to me. I didn't know whether that was good or bad or what it was. I just knew this guy was helping me with a problem I needed solved. Probably a year in, I started to feel like there's something wrong about this. I shouldn't be having to pay him that much. This shouldn't be that hard. At some point, I pulled out of using him and I switched all of my accounts over to Vanguard, still using the assets under management at Vanguard for 1%. So
1: this is, beginning or waking up of knowledge about investing and about your finances is still a far cry from the kind of people who show up at a Camp Fi, right? By the time you're in the know enough, most people who show up to Camp Fi have really been studying and researching this stuff for a while. So let's talk about how you went from that point to courageously standing up and telling your story at Camp Fi. How did you hear about financial independence was there a point where you were learning about your own finances accelerated?
0: Absolutely. So I had a friend who told me about the Choose Fi podcast and I thought, oh yeah, I'll I'll add it to my list. I didn't. And then she said, did you listen to that episode that I sent you? Oh no, I, I just haven't had time. And I finally got around to it, listened to one of the first ones, like episode 21 or 38, I think of the Choose Fi podcast, which is the one's back in the day that they said to start with. And I remember being on a run when I listened to it. I remember where I was running. (laughs) I mean, that's how enlightened I was from this. And I remember wanting to run faster to get home, to start digging into things. Within the first month of listening to the first episode, I had created spreadsheets. I had started tracking my expenses. And just tracking my expenses alone was a huge turnaround. And just... You know, making that small Amazon purchase, I would hesitate now and say, Oh, do I want to put that in my expense tracker? I don't know if I want to put that $30 expense where before it wasn't even a second
1: thought. Why do you think you connected so much with choose FI at that point in your life? And I guess I'll ask the same question a different way. How do you think that was affected by Jim's death? Would your interest have been the same if you had discovered that back in 2013?
0: I think I would have resonated with it regardless. But I think back in 2013, I would have thought it's going to be hard to get him on board with this thought, or I would have brought it up to him. I don't know if we would have really dug into it. I think it's something we would have listened to, probably agreed we should do some things differently and then let it go. And I think me being the sole income earner and the sole responsible person for my daughter, Hannah, affected me differently thinking, this is my life. I need to be responsible for her and I need to learn these things and the way the Choose Fi guys presented it, it just made sense. They were common sense guys. They seemed like real guys. They weren't ridiculous, doing ridiculous, crazy things that you know no one else could do. They were just talking about everyday things. I mean, grocery shopping and buying cars. They just walked through it a little different than how everyone else thinks about it. So I think that helped make me more engaged in their podcasts. And I loved when Brad would always say, take action. You can't take action after listening to 200 other episodes. But those first 20 that I listened to, I literally took action after almost every one of them based off of what they were saying. I started looking at maxing out my 401k, my Roth IRA, and my HSAs. Honestly, it wasn't even that long after listening to them that I felt comfortable removing the assets under management at Vanguard and simply just paying the expense ratio and managing them all myself, which if you told me that a year before listening to them, I would have been like, no way. I don't have a clue what to do for investing and I don't have the capacity to learn that is what I kind of thought. Other things I did, I took my daughter's 529 account out of a targeted date with high expense ratios and put it just in S&P 500 since she's six and has a lot of time. I was using HelloFresh for a delivery meal service thinking, well, I mean, it's convenient and I'm a single parent, so I need convenience. And now I'm spending less than $2 per person per meal. And I track that pretty closely. It's just a significant savings on groceries. And then I also started travel hacking, which has been really fun and really a great way for get us out on different adventures and helping my daughter see the world.
1: One thing I know from my own life is when you have the death of a family member, the sense of powerlessness pervades. And as you describe what you're doing with your finances it sounds very powerful. Like this is something you can actually get your arms around it and control. Is that fair that some of that power that you felt helped with some of the loss of control you had with the death of Jim?
0: When he died, I felt very powerless, out of control. Just felt like what did I do wrong in a previous life? What, you know, what happened to my fairy tale life? I think gaining control of those finances gave me I hate to use the word power, but the ability to negotiate things in the workplace that I wouldn't have felt capable of doing because I would have felt stuck that I needed the job and I needed to keep things status quo and not push. Once I set myself up financially to be able to feel like I can ask for things that I need, it was a really good move for my work life balance as well. For example, I work from home now. And I also moved my hours to accommodate my daughter's bus schedule. So things like that, that I probably wouldn't have asked for if I was living paycheck to paycheck, I felt I could ask for it. And you know, all they could say is no. And it wasn't even big things, but it was a much easier ask.
1: So in this conversation you and I have had, I've talked a lot about the narratives we tell ourselves about our lives. And I'm wondering... As of today, coming up on 2020, what is the story you now tell yourself about your life? Or maybe an easier way to say that is, what is the story you're telling your daughter as she grows up?
0: The number one thing that helped me work through a lot of the grief of losing Jim was looking for silver linings in my life. And I think being grateful. And my daughter and I, every night at the dinner table, go back and forth with three questions favorite thing of the day least favorite thing of the day and one thing that you're grateful for i look at the silver linings of you know my financial stability and also my relationship with my daughter is so close and so tight and not that you can't get that with a two spouse family but i had the time to just devote so much of my world to her during her younger years that i think that really helped us grow together as this little team. And I talked to her a lot about being a team that she needs to help out. It's just the two of us and we're going to do great things as a team.
1: You mentioned your daughter and I think also you've talked about adventures and having adventures was really important to you and Jim even before you had Hannah. Is that right?
0: Yeah, we were trying to see all 61 national parks.
1: And now you and Hannah are having quite a number of adventures on your own. Do you want to talk a little bit about the blog you started writing?
0: Sure. It actually stemmed from a Camp breakout session. We were going around talking about different ideas we had. And I had mentioned that my daughter and I were trying to also see all the 61 national parks and that I wanted to write about it. And they were very encouraging and I talked to some people that helped me kind of get that started. And so now I write a blog just about a lot of our different adventures from national parks to backpacking to um, day trips that we take to go hiking and just trying to encourage other people to get out and see the world. And it doesn't have to be a huge trip. It can also be your backyard.
1: And it's also a nice way for you to connect Hannah to Jim and what he was passionate about. Is that right?
0: I love going back to parks that Jim and I had been to, that I get to tell her stories about your dad and I went here, this one time your dad did this or said this funny thing about this park, and then show her pictures of him and I at that park, and then compare them to the pictures we took.
1: Julie, I wanted to take some time here to thank you for telling this difficult story, a story that resonates with me, but I think resonates with a lot of our listeners too. It's important that people see that even in the most severe of tragedies, that we continue to live. And what you've shown us is that you both can care and love deeply, but yet commit yourself to thrive and to learn and to be a good parent. And to see you doing this uh, is quite uplifting. And I think it's an important story. So thank you for being on. Why don't you tell us where we can find your blog and what's up next in your life?
0: You can find me at always say yes to adventures.com and a little history on that. That's something that came out of a national park trip from Jim and I, we were debating whether to go on a particular expensive trip. And of course he said, well, what do we say to adventure? My answer was to cheers him my margarita and say, we say yes to adventure. What's up next with me? I'm going to continue to adventure with my daughter and save money.
1: Sounds like a plan. This has been the What's Up Next podcast. I'd like to thank Julie M for being so courageous and being on the show. That's a wrap. If you haven't noticed, there have been all sorts of changes happening here at the What's Up Next podcast. Principal among them is that I've joined forces with Joe Salcihai to become part of the Stacking Benjamins family. I picture this as a marriage between all the content you love from What's Up Next with all the resources, quality, and entertainment of the award-winning Stacking Benjamins show. As always, thanks for being part of our community, listening to the podcast, and joining the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll see you next week.
0: How are I you made, doing with Paul leaving? How are you doing?
1: How am I doing? Um, so originally, obviously, it was um, I was upset only because I felt like life—you kind of like what you were saying—I felt like life was like perfect. My job was kind of perfect. My home life was perfect. The podcast was something I could really spend time and dig into, so that was perfect. So you know, no one likes sudden change, even when it is not tragic. Um, so it was just a change. I mean. So, I've had to learn the technical. So, like since the
0: editing and the yeah,
1: and so I'm doing that all now. And actually, it's not horrendously hard, it's just somewhat time consuming. And I, you know, I've actually decided I'm going to affiliate with Stacking Benjamin's. So, you know, Stacking Benjamin's podcast.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I've been talking a lot to Joe Salcihai about it, and he's going to help me run the podcast kind of slowly integrating into his creative team. And he's going to promote me a little bit. And I think I think that'll that'll be exciting and interesting and, and fun.
0: Are you still working?
1: So I do. I work for a hospice company, and I'm a contractor. So up until a, a month or two ago, I was working Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, about 12 hours, 12 to 15 hours total. And then I answer pages and texts, but they're really easy. So I was doing that. No weekends, yep. no nights. Hospice work is great because you go. I don't actually even do direct patient care anymore. I run teams that take care of the hospice patients. So I get to go meet with nurses, social workers, chaplains, and CNAs every week. And these are kind of like salt of the earth people who are
0: oh my gosh, in the
1: trenches. Angels. yeah. The, and these are people <laughs> who are in the trenches of hospice work. So I get to go hang out with them and be a part of their team. And to me, that's a, a huge privilege. So I know I've said this to you before, but so I'm the child of someone who went through a little bit of what Hannah goes through. and I find life to be magical and amazing and wonderful. So you know, I wish she the same too, for your I daughter. Yeah. She yeah. Does. and 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 I'll wish the same for you because as crappy as the things you've gone through, um, you seem to have a light as a person, and I hope it it continues to shine. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts.